0: I'm Jonathan Mosen with episode 39 of Mosen at Large. And how serendipitous, how serendipitous is this? Because 39A is the launch pad from which the U.S. astronauts blasted off on the SpaceX mission. Cool, eh? Lots of technology in the mix as ever today. Stay tuned. If you'd like to make a contribution that might be included on Mosin at Large, you can phone the listener line. That number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736. You can also make an audio or written contribution by email, jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. We play a selection of the contributions we receive every week. It would be helpful if your message is concise due to the volume of contributions we receive and your contribution may be edited for brevity and clarity. A reminder that to help you navigate this long podcast, it is segmented by chapter. All the good podcast apps support chapters. That means you can skip forward and back between sections. We are doing well, and I hope that you have had a good week. I know that we live in troubled times in many respects uh, around the world at the moment. And in New Zealand, I guess, Maybe we can be a bit of a beacon of hope or something, because we have had zero new cases of COVID-19 for quite some time now. And we now, believe it or not, have only one active case of COVID-19 in the whole of the country. That is to say, everyone in New Zealand who contracted COVID-19, and it's a relatively small number, has recovered except for one person. So it is a remarkable effort. And uh, our prime minister Jacinda Ardern has been talking about the team of five million that has made this happen, and I think it's fair to say that the unity is fracturing a little bit now because there are some people who are saying, "Well, now that we've got to this point, we should be downgrading to the level one of our alert system." And the government is saying, "Well, hang on, not not so fast, because it takes fourteen days for this thing to incubate, and we've just got to make sure that when we." De-escalate, we do so in a way that's uh, careful and sustainable and measured so we can make sure we're not undoing all the good that we've done. But assuming we stay on this trajectory, it's been a remarkable effort. You know, we got our first case at the end of February. We went into a very strict lockdown in the middle of March. And here we are with only one case of COVID-19 in the whole country.
1: Mosin at large park.
0: Steve Catway has been in touch on the email and he says, did I know that there's a new Robert J. Sawyer book coming out? I did know about that. I follow Robert on Twitter and also read his blog. Robert J. Sawyer, for those who don't know about him, is a science fiction author. And actually, he did kind of seep into the consciousness of many blind people when he did that WWW series, The Wake, Watch and Wonder, about a blind girl who made contact with a increasingly uh, conscious web. It's kind of like the World Wide Web became a conscious entity. It's a brilliant trilogy, and it just goes to show his attention to detail because he was just so thorough about researching the way that a blind person would use JAWS, and it was wonderful. And I had the privilege of interviewing Robert J. Sawyer back in 2009, on FSCast, and that's still lurking about somewhere in the archives. There is such an intelligent man. And I have to say, I was reading Sawyer before he was called in the blind community. I got introduced to him by Paul Edwards, former president of ACB. And I've read everything that he's written. And he's one of those few authors where whenever a new Robert J. Sawyer book comes out, everything goes on hold for me. Everything. It's not here yet, Steve. Steve. He says he's just read a review. I believe the publication date is actually the 2nd of June, and I've pre-ordered it on iBooks. And I have read the first couple of chapters or few chapters, because when you order on iBooks, you get to see a preview of the book, which is really cool. The new book is called The Oppenheimer Alternative. It is sort of an alternative history. It, it, it It's a, one of those really interesting fusions between fact and fiction. And it sounds like it's going to be a thought-provoking book. One of the things, and I don't know whether this applies in the case of uh, this book, but one of the things I've always enjoyed about Robert J. Sawyer's writing is he has an optimistic view of the future that, um, as a species, we're going to kind of turn out all right. And I really hope that that is actually the case. In Apple News this week, last week I mentioned the very strange business of some people trying to open an app that had recently been updated and getting the message this app is no longer shared with you. And the only way to fix the problem was to delete the app and reinstall it. Some people just offloaded the app, which is a technique that's been available in iOS for a while, and then brought it back again. And I think the advantage of doing that is that you don't lose any of your settings and you don't have to log in again and all those things. So that was a cool trick. A few days after the show, there was a mass of updates available again. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have my automatic updates turned on in iOS, partly because sometimes I see on Twitter that an update has broken accessibility. And if that's the case, I hold off installing it, particularly if it's a really important app to me. And eventually, when there's another update, I might hear that the accessibility issue has been fixed. And so I can download it again. Very slick. That's one reason why I don't have my automatic updates on. The other reason is just purely because I enjoy it. It's kind of like Christmas every day, man. I go in there and I look at my app updates and there are updated apps every day without exception, unless Apple's closed over the Christmas New Year period and updates aren't being pushed. And I like it. I like skimming through, reading all the descriptions. So from my point of view, there's nothing more frustrating in the app update ecosphere when you get those silly little messages about bug fixes and performance improvements, or sometimes they waffle and they say, we've made changes that make the app better for you. Keep your automatic updates turned on. And they don't tell you what they've changed and what they've fixed. And that really frustrates me. Some of the best update notes I see come from the OmniFocus app. Also, 1Password is very good about going into great detail about the things that they've changed. And I personally enjoy that. So I like going through, reading all the update notes, and generally updating the apps. So I went to update my apps and check in on what was there. I think it was on about Tuesday, New Zealand time. And whoa, I had 55 updates waiting for me. And I noticed that many of them had release dates of quite some time ago. And it seems that what has happened is that there was some weird issue with recent updates. I don't know whether it relates to certificates or something. Apple hasn't said but they did have to push a lot of updates again that had already been pushed out to fix this problem. Apple has acknowledged to the tech press that they've fixed the problem, but they have declined to say what the problem was in the first place. Gotta love these intriguing Apple things, eh? But it's good to know that the problem is fixed. Another big Apple story over the week is more Apple rumors. And this one is interesting. A few years ago, we got rumors that said Apple is thinking about taking the headphone jack away. And a lot of people at the time, when those rumors started, thought, this is nonsense. Who's going to take the headphone jack away? The headphone jack is ubiquitous. It's been around a long time. People need to plug headphones. And what about people using professional headphones? And on and on it went. And then we got to a point where I was sure that Apple was indeed going to take the headphone jack away. And I started blogging about that particularly in terms of implications for those who use hearing aids with direct audio input, because made for iPhone was quite rare then. And if you get funding for hearing aids, which can be very expensive, sometimes that funding might not come up for five, six, even 10 years, depending on where in the world that you are. So I started blogging about that. So I am signaling that for some time, there has been a consistent set of rumors coming through that Apple is looking at making the iPhone portless. And another source this week has suggested that one of the 2021 iPhone models is indeed going to be portless. But they did have a bit of a variation of this rumor, and that is they are suggesting that there will be a smart connector on the device. And to be honest, I think that's more plausible because wireless charging just isn't there yet in terms of speed. I like the speed at which my phone currently charges. And would people really want to sacrifice that? I think that would be a step too far, even for Apple. The other thing, though, is what about all the lightning accessories? So there have been some people who suggested, look, Apple needs to bite the bullet and go to USB-C. Let's all standardize on USB-C and give up this proprietary lightning port. Of course, many of us have a lot of lightning accessories, microphones and all kinds of things like that. And Apple will just have to do another of their famous dongles. I would support that. I'm prepared to take that sort of pain for USB accessories that work with my iPhone, work with my laptop. USB C is a standard that the whole industry has gotten behind. If they really are going to release a portless iPhone or even one with a smart connector, I really just think that that would be a step too far for many people. But I mean, I've been proven wrong before. There was a significant petition online to urge Apple to reverse their decision to drop the headphone jack, and Apple held the course, and that iPhone was very popular, just as popular as it always is whenever Apple releases a new device. So would we adapt to a completely portless iPhone? Would it be something that would make you think long and hard about sticking with Apple? And would you, as Android now becomes more accessible and usable with its multi-finger gestures, seriously consider switching if the only option to stay in the Apple ecosystem was a portless iPhone? And even if you did that, Android would probably be a temporary, dare I say, port from the storm, because in the past, Android manufacturers have mocked Apple for removing the headphone jack, but it's pretty hard to find a good Android device With a headphone jack now, Apple led the way on that. So eventually, if Apple goes portless, you could probably expect that Android devices will too. I just find this a bit incredible, really. I can understand they might have a dream of a portless iPhone one day, but think of all the photographers who use microphones that are plugged into the lightning port and the broadcasters who use microphones plugged into the lightning port. Sure, go with USB-C, but would they really be brave enough? to release a portless iPhone? What do you reckon?
2: There's a
0: tweet here from Ian Lackey, and he says, I have to ask you a very important question. What do you think of the latest episodes of The Archers? And then he volunteers, I am finding them very tedious. I have to agree with you, and I know that the BBC Archers account is retweeting lots of praise. And I think that the reason why they're tweeting so much praise is that, you know, me sinks, they doth protest too much or something. Uh, I think that what the Archers is doing is a bit of a cop out. We do have quite a few Archers listeners. So I'm sure that people will chime in on this if they have a different view. What they've done is essentially just done monologues And I think that that is really, you know, when you consider the resources that the BBC has available to it, that really is a bit ridiculous. I mean, I understand why it might be quite difficult to have complex scenes where there might be three or four people. But I don't see why with good sound editing and the right uh, technology being used, they can't continue to have two or even three person scenes where there's actual dialogue taking place and the plot is moving along. It does sound like they all have the same microphones that they've been issued with the same mics and that's a sensible strategy. So everybody sounds the same and clearly they've been given a lot of coaching on how to deaden the acoustics and everything. So that's all good stuff. I just don't see why they couldn't have gone one step further and actually you know, had a good engineer splice and dice it together got rid of any gaps and things. It just seems to me like a real cop-out.
2: Hi, Jonathan. My name's Michael, and I'm uh, sending you this clip from Melbourne, Australia.
0: Mate. I love your podcasts because they're very educational and entertaining. I'm just wondering whether you would know anything about an app called Google Keep. I want to use it to take notes, add shopping lists
2: with uh, Google Assistant or the Google Smart Speaker. I'm finding it a little bit cumbersome to sort of run through menus and uh, the home screen, etc. I'm wondering if you could recommend something else that would work either with Google Assistant or with Alexa, or as you say, the soup lady. Love your show. Keep up the great work. Thank you
0: very much, Michael. Good to hear from you. Hope all was going well in sunny Melbourne. I have heard of Google Keep. And I haven't used it. It sounds like you have had much more direct experience of this and trying to make it go than I have. What I'm doing for this is using an app called AnyList. AnyList is super accessible on iOS and you can create lists of all sorts of things and share those lists. So Bonnie and I have lists that we share and we both have the AnyList app. There is a family plan that you can subscribe to for AnyList which means that it's very reasonable and you can get several members of your household in on the AnyList system. And AnyList actually integrates with the Soup Drinker's shopping list feature. So we have a shopping list in AnyList and you can create Siri shortcuts for it. So you can very quickly add items to your various lists, but you can designate one particular list as the shopping list that the Echo understands as its shopping list so when you say you yeah, add eggs to my shopping list to the soup drinker it will add it to shopping list and appear in any list and that way when you go to the store you bring up your any list app and there is the shopping list which the whole family can contribute to and it's just there and you can hand it over or whatever you want to do now i don't know whether that works with google home or not with google assistant because we don't have really any Google Assistant devices other than the apps on our phone and the television in our living room. But it might be worth checking it out, if you have an iPhone, that is, and that is any list. It's a really accessible, well-produced app. Email from Chet Smalley, who says, Hello, Jonathan. First, thank you for bringing to my attention, and to that of many others, no doubt, the existence of Walter II, the nifty he put that in quotes. I take it I said it was nifty, did I? Well, it is, <laughs> it is nifty. The nifty program with which one can easily transfer files from one's computer to one's iPhone. Now, do you know of a seamless way of transferring the odd file from one iPhone to another? I say odd because I'm not interested in bringing data from an old phone to a new one. Rather, I simply want to put a file on my wife's phone which is currently only on mine. We both use iPhones. Mine is an old, though still very usable 6S, and hers is an 8, I think. I've been enjoying Mushroom FM these days, as here in the US finding entertainment for a diehard baseball fan such as I is challenging, to say the least. Many thanks, he says. Well, thank you, Chet. I really appreciate you listening to the show. Now, Chet is from Erie, Pennsylvania. Needs reverb, Eerie, Pennsylvania. You could have like a whole industry in ghost stories or something like that in Erie, Pennsylvania, I would imagine. Now, there's no easy answer to this question because it all depends on the kind of content that you want to share and where it's stored. For example, if you have, even if it's your own music, some music that you've imported into the Apple Music library, then you can't share that file because Apple has decided that you shouldn't because chances are you're breaching copyright if you pass on a file from the Music app from one device to another. The AirDrop is available, but it's not actually going to send the file. It might send a link to the file if it's a file on Apple Music. Of course, if it's your own audio that you've put there, you're not breaching any copyright, but that's a sort of arbitrary decision that Apple has made. So it's going to depend on whether the app that has the file you want to share has enabled airdrop in the share sheet. So if I go into the files app on my iPhone, for instance, and I find a file that is living in my iCloud drive, and it could be a media file, it could be a document, in that case, I can choose the share option, and there is AirDrop. AirDrop's a wireless transmission of data from your iPhone to another Apple device. It could be a media file. It could be something as simple as a contact. So quite often, if I want to pass on contact information to a colleague, I can simply find the contact and choose to share it, and then choose AirDrop, and then transfer the contact from my iPhone to someone else's. But again, it depends on whether AirDrop has been enabled for the particular app in question. There are apps out there that I haven't played with too much. I did play with one, and I'm sorry I don't recall the name of it. It wasn't that accessible. It didn't seem that intuitive, but it did let you get at quite a deepish level into the contents of your iPhone on a PC or Mac. And then let you copy that stuff. And I believe what it did was it backed up the iPhone and then you were able to drill into that backup and extract the files you needed. So a bit complex. But if AirDrop is available in the app that you want, it's simply a case of choosing a nearby device. Some people use AirDrop for dodgy purposes. So there are ways on the iPhone of limiting who can try and send you AirDrop material. You can say, for example only accept airdrop sharing requests from people who are in my contacts. So if someone wants to share something with you via airdrop, you will get a notification and it will tell you what someone is trying to send you and who's trying to send it to you. You can choose to accept or reject the request and then the file is sent. Hey, Jonathan says this email, I am Christian. I'm considering eventually switching to Android, and I was wondering if I should switch to a Samsung phone or if I should switch to a Google phone and use TalkBack whenever the new multi-finger gestures come out in Android 11. Thanks, Christian. If you have the opportunity to, and it may not be now due to the various states of lockdown that some most countries are still in. Go into the store and have a look at the different phones. One of the benefits of Android, of course, is the myriad of devices that are out there. Oppo is also a really nice brand. They do some good stuff. You do have the Google Pixel phones, although I know there's been a bit of controversy about the availability of that hardware and how it's progressing. But a lot of people like their Google Pixels. And then Samsung, I guess, are considered to be the major iPhone competitor, And when I had my Samsung Galaxy device, it was kind of iPhone-like, especially given that their screen reader did support multi-finger gestures. Although it's all Android, there are some unique features of the Samsung devices. They customize things a bit. That can potentially be a disadvantage, though, because sometimes it can take devices a long time to get the software update. Because Apple controls the entire ecosystem, the operating system and the hardware, on the day that the next version of iOS is released, if you have a device compatible with that version, it's there. And everybody knows this day is iOS 14 release day, and we all look forward to it or perhaps dread it with some trepidation, given some of the things that have happened in the past. And then we download it. That's not, of course, the case with Android. And some Samsung devices have taken a while to get the latest version of Android. There are various initiatives that are seeking to remedy this. There's a thing called Project Treble, which is supposed to help with this. And I think with Android 10, things were a little bit better. One would think that with 11, it'll get even better still. So that is the chance that you take with going with a non Google device, uh, essentially just wondering how long is it going to be before you get Android 11 if you buy now. On the other hand, if you do purchase a Google device, you'll be the first to get the new versions of Android when they are released. Although one frustration that I've observed with certainly the Nexus devices, and I owned a Google Nexus for a while, is that they don't last nearly as long as iPhones in terms of how many software updates you get, how many years of software updates you get. But if you're keen to get Android 11, And you want the multi-finger gestures and you want the latest accessibility that there is, I would go with a Google Pixel, I think, on balance. If certain features of the Samsung devices are important to you and you like having a choice of screen readers, which, of course, you will have on the Samsung devices, that'll be a consideration for those who are much more experienced in the Android ecosystem. I'd certainly welcome people's comments and direct experience if there is any on using these devices and how you find it. Particularly if you have a Google Pixel, which I am considering purchasing so I can have a play with Android 11. Jonathan
3: Mosen, Mosen at
0: podcast. Imke says, I also am blind and have a hearing impairment. I use behind-the-ear hearing aids from Widex. I too have noticed that the tones from electromagnetic fields that one can hear when having the hearing aids set to the microphone and telecoil function can come in handy. Like you, I've used them for diagnosing whether a laptop is running or not and have also noticed that it can help with orientation. For example, in my bank there are a lot of obstacles between the counters and the exit door making it difficult to maintain my direction toward the door. One day, when I had accidentally left my hearing aids in the telecoil setting, I noticed that a humming noise above the door can help me find it. That's a really interesting idea, actually. And I think one of the downsides for me would be that when you go into one of those programs like T-coil and microphone, sometimes some of your noise cancellation features or other features that you've set up for outdoor navigation may not be on the program. And I think depending on the aid, It could be difficult for some audiologists to get them there. But that is a really cool trick, actually. And he continues, Widex sells a variety of accessories, including small devices that hang around the neck and send audio directly to the hearing aids. There's a version that connects to a mobile device or computer via Bluetooth and one with a 3.5 millimeter connector just to name the two I use. I can wear two at the same time. For example, the Bluetooth one connected to my iPhone and the corded one connected to my computer. However, they do not work simultaneously and do not seamlessly switch from one to the other in terms of what audio reaches my hearing aids. For me, I have to say nothing substitutes for a direct audio input connection between my hearing aids and the device that I'm using because of latency. I did actually try a set of Widex Evokes last year. And had all sorts of issues with them getting them working the way I wanted to and the app was hideous. And if anyone wants to read my findings there, I did blog about it at the time, you can go to mosen.org slash now hear this twenty nineteen. That's mozen.org slash now hear this twenty nineteen. So I ended up with the Otacon open. S1 hearing aids, they are also behind the ear and they do still support the direct audio input cable. So I have a cable going directly from the aids to a 3.5 jack. So it's just like wearing headphones, although not as good quality as wearing headphones, but you get zero latency. But everybody's use case and requirements are different, but certainly people who are interested in this subject can check out that article at mosenorg slash now this 2019 and learn my findings. The new wide aids do a lot of cool tricks, but obviously if you can't access them, and the app was really problematic, at least at the time when I was looking a year ago, well, they're not much good, are they? Now, Imkey continues re-HandyTech Braille displays with a capital B. I love that. I use the HandyTech Active Braille and Actelino displays and find the feature that scrolls forward when my hand reaches the end of the display very useful. It does take some practice to get used to using the right rhythm for achieving a smooth reading flow. Unfortunately, I've only been able to use it within the internal functions of the devices and my iOS devices, not on the PC. If anyone knows how to activate this feature with NVDA or any other screen reader, I would be interested in knowing about it. I also wish that the feature worked for scrolling backwards as well as forwards. I also have repetitive stress injury and find that the concave cells on the displays are more comfortable than the flat ones of displays from other manufacturers. Great email. Thank you, Imke, And I appreciate all that feedback. Now, one thing we should also talk about is the fact that the new Windows 10 update is here. These generally come about every six months or so. And it's time for another one. They just got the May update in time for it to still be called. The May update, Microsoft do tend to cut it a bit fine. Have you got it yet? I see that Anil, one of our listeners who's in India, he's got it. I have not on either of my machines. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can get this Windows 10 update. One is to force it and you can go to, um, I guess you could Google on or Bing because it's Microsoft, right? You could search on something like Windows 10 download and you can get the Windows 10 upgrade assistant, I believe it's called. And it will then install the Windows 10 update for you if you really want it now. The other way to do it, and I would say this is the recommended way, is to go to settings. You can press Windows with I to get into the Windows settings in Windows 10. Nice handy shortcut. Windows I takes you straight to settings. Not window eyes, but Windows I. (laughs) And then you'll find the updates option towards the bottom of the list of settings. If you go in there and manually check for updates, it may be ready for you. On the two systems that I use the most, I haven't actually checked the Mushroom Pot machine, but scared to do that. On the two machines I use regularly, my desktop here in my studio and the laptop, it is not there. I did get a message on my laptop that says, we are sending the Windows 10 update to people, but your machine is not quite ready. But don't worry, there's nothing you need to do. And I saw this update message the last time we got a Windows update. so. If you force the download, you may find that you get some sort of compatibility issue that will give you problems. (laughs) So it's probably best, I think, to just wait until it comes to you. Sometimes it's a bit of a staggered rollout just because they push it to a set number of users at a time. At other times, your machine may not be getting the update for a very good reason. And I understand there are still some compatibility issues. So just like Android, really, it's not as smooth as everybody rejoicing or lamenting the update of, say, iOS all on the same day because there are so many hardware configurations to consider with Windows 10. Why would you want Windows 10 2005 update, the May 2020 update? Well, as a blind person, probably the biggest reason will be that there is a significantly improved narrator. So they're tweaking the user interface all the time It looks and feels a lot more like JAWS than it used to. And that was from the September release. In the 2020 release, it's working with a lot more apps. They've introduced a sort of a sound system to try and speed your productivity up so you can have sounds. And there's a tutorial, I understand, in the new narrator that will let you get familiar with those sounds and what they convey. You can turn that feature off if you prefer the old-fashioned way. They've made some changes to scan mode, which is sort of like the virtual cursor in JAWS. And they also have better compatibility with Microsoft Outlook. And I'm looking forward to trying this because when I've used Narrator with Outlook, it was verbose and pretty yuck. So they're kind of gradually improving things over time. And it's interesting to contemplate who is most threatened By that, I would suggest actually that it's NVDA because JAWS is so configurable. And I'll give you an example. In Microsoft Outlook, I have a unique set of parameters in Outlook so that when I open a message, it automatically reads and it doesn't speak the window title because I already know what the subject of my message is because I read it in my inbox. So I don't want to hear that again. I suppress the speaking of the window title whenever that message opens. And that's the kind of really minute configurability you can have with JAWS. Obviously, with NVDA, it's free, it's open source, which, of course, can be a blessing or a curse because there are still some companies that don't want that kind of software in their workplace. And that really is a consideration. So I think really you're what you're seeing is a battle of the free solutions. I think JAWS will hold its own because there's just a lot of value add, but whether NVDA will sort of start to lose its appeal for some, given that Narrator is built right into the operating system and it's becoming more capable, I think that will be the interesting question. Some people who have updated to the Windows 10 2020, May 2020 update, have already reported all sorts of audio problems that if you are on a system that has multiple audio devices that Windows installer is changing the audio devices. Some people have experienced loss of speech as a result of that. And some are reporting not a pleasant trip. So I imagine that if you have a fairly simple audio setup, it's going to be okay for you, but you might just want to be on your guard if you have a more complex one and make sure that if you have access to a Braille display and you use Braille, that is plugged in on several occasions when I've done these Windows feature updates, they have really messed up audio. And I wish it wasn't the case. Certainly, this is where Mac, I'm afraid, really does shine. Their audio subsystems seem much more capable.
3: Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast.
4: Hey, Jonathan Mosin, XL This is Richard Koichel from Towson, Maryland. I have a comment and a question. My comment is about talking clocks. I have a friend, and he had a combination of talking clock, calendar, and calculator. This is the early 80s. And he could put in a date and tell you uh like when that was and I'm not sure you could set events in it. But that's how I learned that April the 27th, 1978, when I was born, was on a Thursday. Um, So I'm just curious if anybody knows, was that a Sharp model? And if so, what was it? My first uh, thing I had was a combination clock and calculator. I had a male voice in it, but it wasn't a Sharp. I think it might have come from Radio Shack. And then I had the Radio Shack watch, the British one. My question is this. Maybe I'm missing something, but... Since it's so hard to position something on a wireless charger, and then I'm assuming you can't use it while it's charging, what are the advantages to wireless charging? I just don't see it. You still have to plug it into a power source. So, if you could please uh, enlighten me, I would really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Richard. That does sound like the talking clock calculator combination from Sharp. And we'll hear a demo of that in the not too distant future on this show. So stick around for that. Regarding wireless charging, I guess I would disagree with your premise that it's hard to put a phone on the charger. I mean, you just rest the back of the phone on your charger of choice. And normally it's got a grippy type surface and the phone goes ping if you've got an iPhone and it's charging. You can use the iPhone or other devices when they are on a wireless charger. As a blind person, I have used them while the phone is lying horizontally on the charger. I accept that most sighted people wouldn't do that, but I have seen some really nice wireless chargers that tilt, and that's actually quite good for face ID. Because you can have a wireless charger in your office and it can be vertically aligned, sort of tilting upwards. And then you can just lean on over towards your phone and it unlocks it. So that's pretty slick. I guess one of the advantages would be that it keeps the lightning port free, particularly relevant now that the iPhone doesn't have a headphone jack. So if you need some sort of audio accessory, and, and I agree there are other ways to get around this, you can use one of those double adapters that plugs into the lightning port. So it's not the only way but that would be one. But I tend to agree with you, especially with the iPhone 11 Pro Max that I have now. I took the wireless charger that used to be by my bed away and instead just use the plug and the charging brick that came with the phone. And the reason for that is how quickly this phone charges with that new plug-in brick. It is very fast and wireless charging is slow. I think the maximum that the iPhone supports is 10 watts of wireless charging. What what what? And that is going to take quite a while for the phone to charge. One of the advantages I see long term of this sort of charging is when it starts being built into furniture. And you are seeing this to some limited degree now, you can get couches that on the arms they also are wireless induction things. So you can just rest your phone on the arm of the seat and you are getting charge. i think that's pretty cool and i think the other thing about them too is that since this is now really becoming a standard you'll find wireless charging at cafes coffee shops Yeah, remember those things we used to have them once <laughs> so when you go out to those places what you will increasingly find is that these charges are around or inductive charging mats so you can just get a quick bit of charge while you get your caffeine fix or whatever. So that's pretty cool. I think, though, that for a lot of use cases around the house, if you need to charge and just get a bit of juice into your phone quickly, then the good old plug it into the lightning port in the case of an iPhone is the way to do it. Holger, in response to the Windows 10 2020 update thing, says, I do not care for the voices in the rater in Windows 10. Microsoft need to get better voices. Voices are such a subjective thing. One of the things I'm quite impressed with, actually, is some of the voices in Microsoft Edge, which is my browser of choice. When you go into Microsoft Edge, you can make it read aloud, a web page, and I found the magic shortcut key the other day. It is Control-Shift-U. I'm not sure what the U mnemonic stands for, but if you press Control-Shift-U, when you're on a web page, you will get, Edge reading aloud and Control Shift U turns it off again, and those voices are remarkably human sounding. Regarding the voices used generally by Windows, what I did was I purchased the Code Factory version of Eloquence, which is a Sapi Five version that integrates with Windows itself, and I use Narrator with Eloquence on the occasions that I do use Narrator. So that might be something. You can do, you can also purchase SAPI 5 compatible versions of the Vocalizer voices. So you can have voices that you're familiar with working with Narrator. But I do find that just walking up to any computer and being able to run Narrator and have a quite capable screen reader, it wouldn't be my screen reader of choice ever, I don't think. Well, I guess ever is a big statement. Who knows what Narrator will be like in 10 years' time. But it is a lot more capable than it used to be. And you can do some pretty good stuff with it. And it's nice that you can walk up to any Windows machine and make it go. I'm not the only one that hasn't got the Windows 10 May 2020 update. Peggy says, I haven't gotten the update either. Just regular Windows security updates. And, yep, that's right. I do believe that they just stagger this out over a period of time.
1: Hi, Jonathan. It's Tanya Harrison here. Now, I have got an alarm coming up any second from a talking clock that I've had since 1993. I got it from Dick Smith. It's got quite a spectacular alarm. The amazing thing about it is when the batteries go flat... Here it goes. 2.34 p.m. 2.34 p.m. Just tried to stop the alarm. Yeah. Ah, no. silly thing doesn't want to stop. 2.34 <laughs> p.m. There we go. 2.34 The amazing thing about this clock is when the batteries go flat and its hourly chime goes off or its alarm goes off, it makes some very spectacular sounds. It'll do things like play things backwards. It's been known to play the alarm at a much higher pitch And a much lower pitch, I use the lower pitch version of it as my reminder alarm on my calendar on my phone. So that's what's kind of spectacular about it. And it's survived all this time. And every time we have an earthquake like we have this week, the first thing I go and do is run and check whether this clock's okay.
0: I can imagine being trapped in some sort of alternative universe where that alarm just doesn't stop going. That sounds like some sort of weird torture. Thank you, Tanya. That sounds like a very cool and cute clock. And yes, as Tanya says, we had not one, not one, but two, two earthquakes this week. And I was doing some work on my work podcast, and I just had the urge to do it. One of the great things about working from home, you can deliver your deliverables at any time. So I was awake at about two or three in the morning working away on this podcast. And then I decided to get a little bit more shut eye and set my alarm in good time for my next meeting, which of course I do have to attend. And Bonnie obviously gets up and goes to work. She's back at the office, so she has a much more constrained way of working again. And I sort of heard her get up and she said goodbye and I said goodbye. Next thing I know the bed is absolutely shaking, shaking. And at first I thought, oh man, it's Eclipse being annoying because sometimes she gets very enthusiastic and sits there and wags her tail and kind of rocks everything around. So I kind of mumbled, Eclipse, don't do that. And tried to get back to my remaining amount of sleep. And then I realized, wait, Bonnie said goodbye. That's not Eclipse. This is a quake. Oh my word. And then the quake got quite um, quite amazing. So that that was an exciting way. That, when was that? That was a Monday morning. Uh, quite an exciting way to start the week. And then a little bit later, we had another quake of similar magnitude. Woo. Yeah. I tell you, living in New Zealand, it rocks. Mosin
2: at Large Podcast.
0: Feedback coming in on the joys, the virtues of wireless chargers, even though they are so. Oh. And it's Amber in Missouri. And she says, for me, the advantage of a wireless charger is this. When I'm half asleep, it takes less effort to set the phone on the wireless charger than it does to plug it in with a lightning cable. I use my iPhone all day and charge it at night while I sleep. And it's a very good point. One of the things that is really great is that if you're you're leading a very busy lifestyle, say you're flying around the place and you've got a quick bit of time in an hotel before your next appointment and your phone's at about, say, 25%, you can plug in with that new charging brick that they supply with the Pro iPhones and it charges so quickly that in a very short time, you've got a whole lot more juice and you can't do that with a wireless charger. So it does depend on your use case. If you're charging the phone at night, then actually those big charging bricks are trickle charging anyway. So what you find is that it quickly juices up to 100% and then it uses artificial intelligence to make a decision about when it should fully charge you may see this if you check your notifications and it says optimized battery charging scheduled to finish by whatever and then at the preappointed time it'll give you the last 20% and that will actually prolong your battery life which is really cool and you can always override it if you wake up early and you want your last 20% of juice then you can certainly go ahead and just override it um but so with the wireless charging it trickle charges by default anyway so good to get those different perspectives at last we have reached the point in the show where we can bring you another episode of the Tiffany Tiffany Tiffany, Tiffany. Tiffany Jessen is back with another exciting installment of the Tiffany Report, questions and information you can use. And she says, still on the line of things to do but feel less isolating, I have a good group of close friends who all know each other from my tandem bike riding group. Maybe about eight of us are involved, but I created a recurring Zoom room. It's scheduled for 7 p.m. every night. Not all of us go every time. It changes from day to day. Then we don't have a particular topic like tech or news, just our typical friend chat. Then we put Zoom in the background while we open up other games that we play against each other. We're all on different platforms, from phones to computer clients to web browsers, but can play against each other in a huge assortment of games. Then instead of using text and going back and forth, we use Zoom To trash talk and taunt or otherwise be social at the same time. Is is trash talking and taunting a social thing? Anyway, sometimes we may have a drink or two involved. We've done everything from board games to dice and strategy. They even have, to your delight, she says, Monopoly. Squee! Mate, the client and browser options are free, but after the first week of trial, the phone app has a fee. You can pay a few bucks for unlimited use per game or even buy them in bundles. This Zoom room is open all day, every day. So if someone is bored, they just post to our group text That's they're going in and sometimes someone will join or otherwise they can play against a stranger or bot. We all seem to enjoy it, and it's a good unwind from a day of work. I definitely do not miss my multi hours of commuting to work and then to them in NYC before reversing home a couple of times a week. So, Tiffany, you're kind of keeping us in suspense here a little bit. What is this technology you are using? Is it Iris Games or what are they, the the Quentin C's Playroom or or something else? It'll be interesting to know because that's a really good idea to use those technologies to uh, bring everybody together and have a little bit of fun in this period. And of course, Zoom is free to use for group chats of 40 minutes duration or less, and you can get a paid account for not too much. There are alternatives. Skype is still around, and actually I did have to check out Skype the other day after having not really used Skype for quite a long time. It's in pretty good shape accessibility-wise, and it's sounding pretty good, and you can actually create a group call on Skype that is all web-based and people don't have to install Skype. So that's pretty slick. It's, uh, I guess, using some of the Teams infrastructure. And of course, there's Google Meets, which is free as well. If everybody's on iPhone, there's FaceTime. There are lots of ways to get in touch. And since that was quite a short one, let me go on to topic four from Tiffany, On the line of Zoom, yes, I did download and read your book for extra tips, so I thank you for that. I've attended Zoom appointments for many years, but until now, I hadn't hosted them, so never really spent much time exploring the options. In fact, I don't think I even had the main UI downloaded, mostly just using it from my browser. Anyway, as someone with slight hearing issues, I would like to be able to separate volume of Zoom conversations from my JAWS speech a little more. Yes, I know how to go into the sound mixer, but besides my weird thoughts of seeing two things listed for JAWS and two for Zoom, I guess one in that case being the UI and the other being the room, no matter how I change the sliders, it does not seem to separate. The best I can do is move JAWS to speak out of my earpiece. That way, my system volume can change zoom and the controls on my Bluetooth earpiece can control JAWS volume. Why are these sliders all there? If they aren't making anything change, the percentages do in fact move. As an attempted solution, I did enable the JAWS feature where sounds automatically duck when JAWS is talking, but it gives my head a bouncy (laughs) feel as it rapidly changes up and down between jaws speaking i couldn't handle it so turned it back off again well you know tiffany since you wrote this email because we've been working our way through it for this is week number three of working through this email now we have been talking on the show about mixes and one of the things i haven't mentioned in that context is that a big advantage of using a mixer is that many of them come with equalization on each channel maybe a three-band equalizer so you can adjust the bass, the mid, and the treble. And as someone who also has a hearing impairment, I find this incredibly useful. So the fact that you want that granular control over JAWS speech and the speech of Zoom, which is perfectly understandable, and the fact that you have a hearing impairment are two good reasons for investigating a mixer yourself. And let's face it, the quality of all of these technologies has become very good these days. Bandwidth has got better, but so too have codecs that compress the audio. But nothing is going to help if someone is on a terrible microphone, they're miles away from it because they're using a microphone built into a webcam, or they're in an echoey room. I do have a lot of difficulty with bounce, with with uh, bad acoustics like that. And so as someone with a hearing impairment, sometimes I find it very frustrating that people take no care of their audio and a lot of care over their video. And I do find that when I listen to Zoom through a mixer, whether it be here in my home office or eventually when I get back there in my work office, I like having a mixer with a three-band equalizer so I can boost the frequency that I think will help me most to hear the person speaking. And it really benefits me a lot. And then, of course, I do have that ability to. Separately control speech sources. In this case, Tiffany, I think you would want a mixer with USB ports because then you could assign JAWS to one of those sources and Zoom to another. It would effectively be like having two audio devices that are separate. So you could make JAWS default to one sound card effectively in your mixer and you could make Zoom default to another. It wouldn't be hideously expensive. And once you'd got it set up, I think you would absolutely love it. So, thank you for another thought provoking contribution to the show. And we look forward with much anticipation to the next episode of the Tiffany, 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 Tiffany Report. Report.
3: Jonathan, this is Roy in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, I first of all would like to tell you how much I look forward to your Mosin at Large podcast. I get so much from listening to you and your listeners. I think you really have a fair and unbiased approach to everything, and I appreciate your discussions and your uh, receiving other points of view. I, I think that's really great. Recently, I've been interested in the discussions having to do with note takers versus iPads or iPhones. And it occurs to me that I think that we all feel comfortable using what we feel comfortable using. That is what we know how to use. We, we feel comfortable using it and if it gets a job done, then that's what we do. Now I've been reading hard copy Braille with a capital B all my life. I have a Braille embosser and I, got in the habit a long time ago of using hard copy Braille. I sing in the church choir. So in order to get my words, I copy them in uh, in Braille on the computer and then translate them on the uh, computer and, and emboss them into Braille. That works for me. And there may be another way of doing it or a better way. I don't know. It's just something I'm accustomed to doing. And so I do it. And that gets me to my first question, and that is this. We are shut down at church now. We're not meeting. And my job is to video the service so that it can be put online. And I have very limited vision. And so in order to do that, I have to get almost into the camera. And when I do, the iPhone picks up my my breathing, and besides that, we have a young, attractive pastor, and sometimes my rate of breathing increases when she preaches. No, <laughs> I'm just joking, I think. But anyway, I'd like to know, is there uh, some some way, uh, maybe a, a Bluetooth mic or something that I could... Uh, could use so that the iPhone itself doesn't pick up my breathing uh, because uh, it really is distracting. And uh, I, as I say, I can't help but do it uh, because of uh, the the nearness that I have to get to the camera in order to focus. My second question is, what is a dongle? I don't know what a dongle is. It sounds naughty but I don't know what it is. So if you would enlighten me, I would be very appreciative. There's so much in that
0: message that made me smile. So first, thank you very much, Roy, for your positive comments about the show. I do appreciate that. Second, regarding doing what you're familiar with and what you know and what works for you, there's a lot of merit in that. I think some of us are geekily inclined, and we like to experiment and try new things. And that hopefully benefits other people who are more reticent about doing those things. So I enjoy it. Sometimes things work out. At other times, I'm reaffirmed about a technique that I've been using for a long time. That That's superior. But for your use case, where you are taking stuff into church that isn't going to change, you're not going to have to amend the lyrics to a hymn, are you? I mean, not if you're behaving yourself, you're not. It sounds like the kind of thing I might have done as a child, actually. So that's great. You've got a workflow that works for you. And that really is what counts. It's working for you. Now, your second question, talking about breathing into the iPhone's built-in mic while you are filming The Attractive Pastor. I'm a good, clean, living atheist, so I'm probably not qualified to comment on this, except that I was once a Christian. So I know my Bible, and I'm sure... There must be a commandment tucked away in there, Roy, that talks about thou shalt not heavy breathe while thou art videoing a pastor. It's one of the commandments, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, actually, what I think would work for you and your pastor in this case would be a lavalier microphone. Normally, they have quite long cables because they're designed to be clipped on to a lapel or anywhere that it can be clipped to somewhere you know, around the chest or perhaps collar level close to your mouth. The cable would then run to your iPhone and you'd be able to record it, get much better audio, I suspect, than you're getting at the moment because she'd be right up close to that mic and um, you'd be golden and they wouldn't hear your breathing. Genius! Solves all the problems. I would recommend you check out the Rode SC6-L. I'm pretty sure that we've talked about this on the show before. That's Rode, R-O-D-E, And then the model number is SC6-L. With this kit, you get a little dongle. See, they you go together with dongle. And then you get a dongle that plugs into the lightning port. And then there are two places in that dongle for microphones and also a 3.5 headphone jack. So if you're inclined to do it, you could even plug headphones in and monitor the quality of the audio. So you'd be producing some mighty fine video then with no breathing and a very good quality piece of audio from your pastor. So I hope that that helps. As for what a dongle is, I'm going to see if I can take the lazy way out on this question and ask the drinker. Otherwise, I'll try and explain myself. Soup drinker. What is a dongle? The noun
5: dongle
1: can have a couple meanings. Really? One. A hardware device attached to a computer without which a particular software program will not run used to prevent unauthorized use. Mm. 2. A device that can be plugged into a USB port to enable wireless access from a computer to an external Wi-Fi device, as a mobile phone, or to the internet, via high-speed broadband, or to enable wireless connectivity in a printer or other peripheral.
0: Okay, let me give you a couple of examples of a dongle then. JAWS does have a version that runs on a dongle. JAWS is copy protected. And normally the way to unlock it is via software. But if you're an IT professional, you might be taking your JAWS all over the place to maintain various computers. In that case, one option you have, and there's also a network license, but one option you have is to take a dongle and you plug this thing into the USB port and voila, that's your actual friend. It authorizes JAWS for you on whatever computer that dongle is plugged into. So that's where the first definition comes in. These days, a lot of people use the word dongle when they generally actually mean adapter. And I think, to be fair, I'm guilty of this because I've seen adapters being referred to as dongles. So in that case, it means let's say you've got one of these new, shiny, fancy Macs and they have USB-C ports and nothing else. I actually have another laptop that is not a Mac, my HP Spectre Folio which only has USB-C ports. And I'm going somewhere that I want to run a PowerPoint presentation from, and it has a projector, and all they have is a USB-A port, the older USB-A port. So I will need what is sometimes called a dongle, which would have a USB-C plug to plug into my computer, and a female USB-A connector that that projector will plug into. So that's kind of an adapter. So when people talk about dongles these days, often they are in fact really just talking about adapters. So I hope that helps. And if you do get the Rode SC6-L setup, do let me know how you get on with it. I think it'd be absolutely perfect for what you're trying to do. And by way of a non sequitur, and I should explain the segue, Roy says he's from Little Rock, Arkansas, and I have no reason to doubt him. And of course, when I think of Little Rock, I think of one of its most famous occupants when he was in the governor's mansion, Mr. Clinton, President Clinton. And I was reading a book. I'd really like to recommend this book. I found out about it on a radio show whose podcast I subscribe to, and I didn't even listen to the episode. As soon as I saw the episode, I thought,
6: I have to
0: get this book. And it kept me up. I read it cover to cover in one sitting. Luckily, I crank up my text to speech very fast when I'm reading because it's, I believe, 13 hours, Bonnie told me, on Audible. And I read it in much, much less time than that. The book is called Rodham, and it's by... Curtis Sittenfeld, and when you hear a name like Curtis, you think, oh, I wonder what else he has written, but when I mentioned the name Curtis Sittenfeld to Bonnie, she said, oh, I love her stuff, and I said, are you trying to tell me this is a woman writing this, and it did make a lot of sense, because I thought, gosh, for a guy, he's writing very authentically as a woman, but it's not, it's, it's a woman, and oh, oh my gosh, I heard the interview, and she's like, so there, oh my god, ah. anyway, Curtis Sittenfeld, and the whole Thesis The hypothesis of this book is quite simple. What would have happened to both Bill and Hillary, but Hillary in particular, who's the main character because it's written in the first person? What would have happened if Bill and Hillary didn't marry? So it starts off with the regular known story of Bill and Hillary's life to the extent that Hillary goes to Arkansas, but then eventually she decides that she's not going to accept his marriage proposal. Because if you've read the bios, you will know that Bill actually proposed three times to Hillary before Hillary finally said yes. So there was a bit of indecision there, obviously. But in this alternative telling, Hillary says no, goes back, becomes a famous lawyer, and I won't do any more spoilers. But of course, the impact is not only on Hillary in terms of what happens in her life after that. It's also on Bill's, who marries someone different it's really good, man. So if you like that sort of alternative fiction type thing, you know, the counterfactual, I would highly recommend checking out Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. I imagine it's in all the usual blindness repositories, but if not, it is certainly on Audible and it's in places like Apple Books and Kindle. It was a riveting read. So if you read it, let me know what you think.
2: Mosin at Large
5: Podcast. Hi there, it's uh, John Flynn from London, United Kingdom. Excellent podcast, uh, as always. Um, no, it's the first time I've ever contacted you. The discussion on talking clocks and uh, as such has as spurred me on to let you know that I still have the sharp talking clock calculator, which came out in 1980. No, I say it came out in eighty two, but well, it did. Because every time you put a new battery in it, it goes back to the first of January nineteen eighty-two. So I think that that's quite that's proof right there, <laughs> and it does work perfectly well. I'm going to give you an example, and um, a couple of things that I liked on it was the the, calen- was the calendar. It could go back and as well as ahead, um, just to prove it does work. It's seven twenty-two a.m. You go. It's Sunday, May twenty-fourth. Today. So it really does still work. I've had it since '86. They're very, very popular. Very, very useful. Just to prove the the calendar feature on this, uh, where you can go back. Can we? Well, we used to use it a lot for oh, what what day of the week were we born? Because I can we never know. So we can go back. I'm going to go back here. and give my age away as well. I don't mind doing this. <laughs> I don't mind doing this at all. Now, if I can remember what way around it was, I think it was the year first. Let's try it. Now let's see if that works. It's Saturday, August 15, today. There you go, and that, that is proof. Um it was a Saturday child. I can't even remember what they are. So it starts from nineteen hundred, um, I do believe. Let's try this. Error. No it doesn't I think it's nineteen oh one, so let's try that. There you go, and I think it goes up to twenty ninety nine so let's try it 2099
4: it's Thursday, january first twenty ninety
5: nine today I think that' was the last one it goes up to the end of december twenty ninety nine so it's got quite a it obviously shows that it was planned to have a quite a long shelf life when you think of the the span of the calendar. What I also liked was it had an hour forward and back button for um as we called it, British Summertime, and you called it Daylight Saving. Um, so that's quite handy, rather than having to fiddle around, having to reset the <laughs> the, the time and, and everything. And it's got its um, hourly chime, timer, obviously the alarm. The calculator was just a basic plus-minus divide and multiplication, plus it had a, a, a memory in it as well. Memory plus, memory minus, recall your memory. But it went up to I think it was ninety nine million nine, whatever. It was quite a quite a, a span. But we all had them. for For loads of people had these calculators, and yeah, you know, I, I just loved that. You know, they were quite sturdy. They because they had their, they're in their own little case. It's like a, like a you open the case up like a book, you know. But mine still goes. It's it's perfectly fine. It's after all this after all these years. About thirty four, thirty five years I've had this now. But you're discussing also. I mean, Talking watches as well Let me bring this in as well The sharp talking clocks When they first came out they, This was the third model D, The calculator one There was a slimline one Previously and one But then when the watches came out The first actual talking watch I knew of Was actually a, t- a Tandy's one a lot of us here in the UK remember Townley's is a big sort of audio supplier of microphones and mixers and the like. They were then, I think, bought out by Carphone Warehouse.
0: You've brought back some wonderful memories. Thank you very much for that, John. I do remember as a kid going back and finding when people were born with those calculators, but also going into the future and thinking, what day of the year will I turn 50 or whatever? And as a young teenager, that seemed like such a long time away. I mean, you'd hear dates like 2019 and it would almost be like science fiction. Oh, my word. Age catches up with us all. And he is in touch and he's talking about the Samson Q2U, which we've been talking about. This is a microphone. Very good quality for its price. Offering USB and XLR. It is a dynamic microphone, so even if you're in a bit of a bouncy room, it'll take a lot of that bounce away. Really good product. And he has three questions. Count them three. Question one For Windows, do I just need to plug in the QTU or will I need to make some changes in my settings? Yes, you just plug it in and it goes. No need to install any drivers. Two, does this mic work with iPhone. Will I need to purchase some other gear for this to work with iPhone? Uh, Yes, it works with the iPhone, but you will need the camera kit, the little USB dongle (laughs) that will plug in and then it'll have a kind of a female USB port at the end of that dongle so you can plug the microphone into the iPhone. Once you've done that, it works beautifully. And you can hear that actually if you listen to my demo of Boss Jock, where I opened that podcast from Mosin at Large. Recording on my iPhone and it sounds great. Also, do I need to be static? (laughs) Oh, I see. Or can I move around with this mic in hand? Um, there's quite a long cable, a very long cable on it. So if you've got a small space and you want to move around, you can. If you want to move a long, long distance, and no, it's not Bluetooth. Bluetooth microphones, um, well, I don't know many actually. I know of one Bluetooth mic. It's not really a thing. So, You might need to keep the iPhone in your pocket if you're going to move a long way. We have email from Jim O'Sullivan. Earlier this week, I was reminded of the occasional advantage of having Windows change the default audio device to the one recently connected. I lost my speech and couldn't work out why. I have some old USB headphones, plugged them in, and launched Narrator. Joy! I have speech back. Via these headphones, I can now check things and get back to normal. I discovered the normal default sound was muted. That is Jim in Southampton in the UK. Yes, see, there is a benefit of that. And there is a sinking feeling, isn't there? A sinking feeling when you try and do something and you realize, oh boy, I don't have any speech. And that's particularly the case if you don't have a Braille display to fall back
2: on. Mosin at Large Podcast. Hey, Jonathan, this is Bryant here. Do you use any weather apps, or do you just use Siri and your A-Lady for for the weather? Um, the reason I ask is because there was a really good skill, skill on the Echo for quite a while. It was called Weather Sky, and it gave a whole bunch of detailed information really detailed information about the weather and things like that unfortunately they had to shut down because they weren't getting enough donations to support it and it was a free service and they didn't want to pay for it so they just they just shut down but it was really good so do you use any weather apps for your phone or or any weather skills for your echo or do you just use the ones that are already Built in good to hear from you, Brian, and thanks for the
0: contribution. I've used a few of them. I currently use the Met Service app on my iPhone, which is a New Zealand app and it gives me very accurate weather information because they have a weather station very close to us. I have also used Carrot Weather recently, and that's a very good app indeed, and I liked it a lot when I was traveling. It kept up with temperature conditions really well. Its Apple Watch app is epic, and you can get all sorts of different features depending on how much you're prepared to throw at the Carrot Weather app, and it's also fully accessible. I like it because it's pretty much available anywhere you go in the Apple ecosystem. There is a Mac app, there's an iPhone, an Apple Watch, and an Apple TV Carrot Weather app, and it has a sort of a snarky personality about it, which you can turn down if you prefer to. One of the things, though, is that I found that the weather conditions – Weren't as accurate. And I guess that's just the international weather sources it can access. But they're not as accurate for me as the Met Service app. So um, now that I'm not traveling so much and I'm certainly not doing any travel outside of New Zealand for the foreseeable future for obvious reasons, I'm just sticking with the Met Service app. Unfortunately, there is no Apple Watch app. And of course, the Met Service app is not going to be of any value to you at all where you are. Another one that gets uh, high commendation from me is the Weather Gods app. It also has an Apple Watch app. It's also accessible, very accessible, in fact. The developer has a strong commitment to accessibility. And one of the nice features about Weather Gods is that you can hear the weather when you open the app, which is a really nice feature. There are so many pictorial elements to many weather apps. I think this is great that you can hear what the weather sounds like as soon as you come into the app. As far as soup drinker skills are concerned, I don't have any suggestions there. Generally, we just say, what's the weather like today? And it gives a sort of a near accurate uh, answer. But the Met Service app here in New Zealand is the definitive source for weather information here. I'm sure there are lots of good weather apps out there and that we will get some great contributions on this subject. So thanks for raising it, Brian. Here's a follow-up email from Louise Retzel, who says, I wanted to thank you and all listeners for the feedback to my question about how to hear two devices at once in one set of headphones. I really enjoyed the discussions it generated. I have to admit, a couple of suggestions were a bit too technical for me, and I don't think I'll be stripping wires anytime soon. However, I did listen with interest to your very accessible description of a mixer, and it did give me the courage to explore this option further. I always thought mixers were something very high-tech, but your description showed me this doesn't have to be the case, and a mixer was actually exactly what I was looking for. After a bit of research and some online browsing, I decided to take the plunge, and persuaded my employer to purchase a three-channel-in, one-channel-out mixer, ...called the JustMix Audio 2... ...which cost just under £50. Well, that's a pretty good price, isn't it? I waited in nervous anticipation... ...for my new tech to arrive... ...and found it very straightforward to set up. I've been using it for just over a week now... ...and am pleased to report... ...it is
1: Fantastic. fantastic!
0: The mixer doesn't have a switch... ...to let you hear devices in different ears... ...however, if desired... I found you can do this by adjusting the balance on both the phone and the PC. Interestingly, this works fine when using voiceover, but when a call comes in, sound permanently comes out of both ears, no matter what the balance is. However, I haven't found this to be a problem and may have been converted to hearing my PC and phone out of both ears, something I've not done before, as I've always used a splitter box at work. Thanks again for your fantastic suggestion. It has really been music to my ears, which are now much less sore. That's a really great email to receive. Thank you so much, Louise. And it makes me realize what a privilege it is to host this show and hopefully be able to all club together or sort of, what do they call it? um Crowdsource certain questions and suggestions and come up with an answer that works. And I'm glad that you have something that works for you. I think what often happens with mixers is that people, maybe if they go into a radio station or or something like that, and they get to put their hands on a mixer, generally they get to feel the really high-end ones, such as the one that I'm working with. And if you hadn't used a mixer before and you put your hands on this, and there's just row upon row of... Uh, knobs, just columns of them and faders and things. And it feels incredibly daunting. And as you say, not all mixes have to be like that. There are some simple ones out there. And I think a lot of blind people in situations where they want to hear multiple devices at once would benefit. So I'm so glad that that's worked out for you. On the subject of iPhones going whoosh in terms of how quickly they charge, an email from Brian Borowski, who says, Hi, Jonathan, according to the Apple support information, the 18-watt adapter can charge the latest iPads and iPhones from the 8 to the latest. It does a wonderful job for my iPhone 11 Pro Max. Yes, that's an important thing. So the adapter is supplied, I believe, with the Pro versions of the iPhone. I don't think if you just buy the 11 or the new iPhone SE version 2 that you will get the 18-watt adapter. But if you don't get it, you can certainly buy it. And if you are in a position where sometimes getting a really quick burst of charging is important to you, it is a worthwhile investment picking up that 18-watt charger from an Apple store or somewhere that sells it.
6: Hey, Jonathan. My name is Anil. I am running iPad OS 13.5 and latest version of YouTube. I am not able to use track position to rewind the videos. It only increases the seek timer whether you swipe up or down. Has anybody facing this issue other than me? Next I want to talk about text-to-speech and their mispronunciations until I got the iOS 13.5. My current text-to-speech engine on iOS with my current text-to-speech voice used to pronounce good as God after updating to iOS 13.5 it fixed the pronunciation.
0: Fascinating. Got to hear from you, Anil. (laughs) I can confirm this problem that you are having with the YouTube. It is quite frustrating. One of the things that gives me some rescue is that I often find with a longish video that I want to watch on YouTube, I now sideload it to Castro. It is so cool to be able to do this. So for those who haven't been listening to the show for long, Castro is a great podcast app for ios you can go back into the mosin at large archives and listen to my review of this and you just double tap share when you're in the youtube video and choose the option called side load to castro and it loads the audio of the video in castro and of course the advantage of it is that it has all the benefits like the compression of pauses and also the compression of audio and the dynamic audio compression so it's really good but that is not in any way to say that YouTube shouldn't fix this problem. I believe I have seen on Twitter somewhere an acknowledgement by the YouTube peeps of this problem and a commitment to get it fixed in a subsequent version. Now, that said, YouTube are one of those people that do not really go into a lot of detail about what they've fixed. So you'll get a YouTube update some sunny day and it will have some really ridiculous generic update message and you'll find that it works. So hopefully that won't be too far away. Before we go, and yes, this episode is a bit shorter than some of our weekly episodes have been in the last little while. And that's because on Mushroom FM, we were covering the launch of the SpaceX rocket. So that took up a lot of time and it was very exciting. But I wanted to tell you a couple of things relating to the podcast. The first is that we continue to expand. We're all over the place. We are now on YouTube. Yep. If you want to go to YouTube.com slash JMosen, I know a lot of people do like to get all their content from YouTube. You can now subscribe to that channel and you will receive episodes of Mosen at Large on YouTube. So the world domination continues, I tell you. Also, Mosen Consulting closed back in 2018 when I started to work for Ira. But the site lived on and I made books available that were still relevant on the Mosin Consulting site. And when we closed Mosin Consulting, I made the promise that we would gradually remove books as they became irrelevant. There's quite a small number of titles left now. And I felt it was time to rebrand the Mosin.org website. So it's now considered my personal website with a lot of emphasis on this podcast and Mosin at Large content. So when you go to Mosin.org, you will see that the site is now called Mosin at Large and you can still get to the Mosin Consulting Store for the few titles that are still relevant and worth purchasing. When time permits, I'll give some thought to how I can expand what's offered on Mosin.org in terms of support for and community around this podcast. So watch the Mosin.org site as it develops in its new form. And finally, there is a change to the way I'm working on Mushroom FM. Originally, when I started the Mosin at Large podcast, I decided I would just take the voice bits, a lot of the talky bits from the Mosin Explosion, put it into a podcast and get it out there for all those people who said, Jonathan, why don't you get back to podcasting? What's happened, though, of course, is that it has fundamentally changed the nature of the Mosin Explosion show, which always had a bit of talk in it, but was predominantly a music show. The wonderful contributions we receive from listeners has really changed that as podcast listeners send in contributions. And I've played those on Mushroom FM. Really, the show has become very talky. So we're going to own that. And the slot is going to be called Mosin at Large from 2 until 5 p.m. Eastern on a Saturday afternoon. That's 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on a Saturday evening in the UK. If you are not sure when that is where you are, you can check the Mushroom FM schedule page which has some very clever code that decodes the time for your time zone. So that slot is now dedicated officially to the recording of this podcast. So you will never get the full three hours of content on this podcast. If you want to hear the whole thing, and of course you can contribute in real time, if a listener says something, if I say something that you want to react to, the best way to do it and really help influence the way that the program goes is to listen live to Mosin at Large on Mushroom FM, Saturday afternoons at 2 p.m. Eastern. That's Sunday morning, by the way, at 6 a.m. here in New Zealand. Yes, I'm up bright and early. And we will still, of course, condense that three hours of Mosin at Large on Mushroom FM to the sort of abridged version of Mosin at Large that you hear in this podcast. As for the Mosin explosion, that is not going away. That is a show and a brand that I've been doing for over 20 years, and I want to keep that going. And the Mosin Explosion will now be on weekdays starting on the 8th of June from 2 until 3 a.m. Eastern, repeated at 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern. So there's a lot of music, there's cool jingles, there's fun, a bit of crazy news. It's very lighthearted and music focused. So the Mosin Explosion during the week, Mosin at Large, live on Mushroom FM for three hours, on a saturday i hope you'll join me for the live edition and influence in real time the shape of each episode as we think about those astronauts up there i can honestly say it's going to be a blast